0: in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plantstock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Hang on to your kale because my next guest Mr. Jesse Itzler This is a man that not only thinks outside the box, he lives outside the box. And he is perfect for season two where I am celebrating the heart of a hero. He is the prime example of someone who has led literally thousands of people to find their personal hero within. He is an accomplished entrepreneur, he co-founded Marquee Jet, the world's largest prepaid private jet card company, which he and his partner sold to Berkshire Hathaway NetJets. He helped pioneer the coconut water craze with Zico Coconut Water, which was acquired by the Coca-Cola company. He's a former rapper on MTV, and he produced both the NBA's Emmy Award-winning I Love This Game music campaign and the popular New York Knicks anthem, Go New York, go. He is married to the Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely. He has written two books, Living with the Monks and Living with a Seal, 31 Days Training with the Toughest Man on the Planet. He also is currently hosting some really unique, inspiring events, including 29029, that's the height of Mount Everest which you're gonna hear us talk about in this episode. Now, for years, I have heard from all of you about how difficult it can be to fully adopt a whole food, plant-strong lifestyle. And absolutely, this is the case, especially in the beginning when you're first learning the tricks of the trade. And we live in a world that works against us every single day. But as you'll experience in this conversation with Jesse, it's possible to absolutely conquer this lifestyle. My favorite quote from today's episode is when he says, you have to take the decision away from the mountain. So I want you to be thinking about your daily hurdles to living plant strong as you listen to this incredibly driven man who lets nothing get in the way of his passions in life and the things that he sets his mind to do. Please enjoy and now let's dive in with Jesse Itzler so here you are here we're here you know we are in Austin Texas and I am thrilled beyond thrilled. Well, I appreciate you having me. We pulled this off in 48 hours. Exactly right. I know. I mean, literally Lance connected us like a day and a half ago. And you're like, are you in Austin? I'm like, yeah. And then a day later, you're
1: like, hey, you want to do it? I'm in Austin. I know. Well, they, say, <laughs> they say time kills deals, right? So here we are. We, 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 we saw the opportunity and yeah. I I we're able to do it. Yeah.
0: So this morning, as I was, I was pulling in here, you're out for a run, Right. Obviously, I recognize you with the you know the great curly hair and the headband. Why do you love headbands so much? Just part, <laughs> you know, part, of,
1: part of you? <laughs> yeah, just since since I've been probably 18 years old, I've always worn shorts, a ski hat, or a headband. I only wore shorts until I was 35 years old, even to work. And then they, they forced me. I had a private jet company called Marquee Jet, and it was, it was hard to t- sell people time on a private jet when I would show up at meetings in shorts. So I had to start wearing jeans. But... Uh, yeah, it's always just, I'm just comfortable yeah. in it. Yeah. So it's not, uh, yeah. no other reason beyond that. It, <laughs> it, it, it's comfortable for me.
0: Um, so running is something that you love. You absolutely, you know, adore it. You've been running for how many years now?
1: I've been running religiously probably for 29 years, 20. Yeah. Since I'm 21. Okay. And you do it 22. every, every morning, every morning. Every, yeah. you're Right. You don't miss a day. I mean, I, maybe I missed every year. I'll miss four days, five days, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah.
0: And what's, what's behind that? Wh- um,
1: wh- it's just a lifestyle thing. It's not, yeah. I don't look at it as a chore. I don't look at it as, I just, it's part of my lifestyle. And, um, you know, it makes me feel good. I think there's a certain level of discipline that comes, I mean, obviously, but I think that translates, that discipline translates into all areas of my life. And, um, it's just become, like I said, it's just something that I don't think about. It's just it's just baked into my routine no matter mm-hmm. where I am, mm-hmm. no matter how cold, how hot that I do. They asked Richard Branson what his key to success was recently in an interview. And he said, you know, going to the gym. And I don't think he meant it makes him stronger. It's just I think it's the that consistency and the discipline associated with it. So for me, it's not even the run. I mean, it's just... I'm prioritizing myself first of all and um I'm putting health first which is super important to me and then it just sets a tone the rest of the day. One of the things you also talk about I think it's in both your books is kind of finding that
0: edge. And one of the things I find cuz I like you every morning I get up and I swim. I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. But I also find that it gives me a little bit of an edge and uh, when I have that swim under my belt, when you have your run under your belt, it's like, it seems like everything goes smoother during the day.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just people always ask me, you know, if they're, if you feel overwhelmed or you're stuck or you're in a creative rut, how do you get out of it? Yeah. And you, the answer is small wins. You get momentum. And when you start your day and I always try to run early first thing, I mean, I have four kids, I get them off the school and then I get after it. But, um, with, if you start your day with a win, everything else in a sense is gravy, and even if you have a crazy terrible day, at least when your head hits the pillow you can say okay I got this this victory that no one can take away from you yeah and you control it yeah uh, the other thing uh, have you had breakfast yet today no
0: you haven't okay why, I will. why, why do you say it like that
1: uh, i'm not I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't believe in the whole breakfast is the most important and should be your biggest meal philosophy. I go the right. other way. So I, uh, I only eat fruit until noon. So that's something I've been doing since I'm 21 years old. And that is unwavering. And um, so I don't look at, I don't even think of the word breakfast isn't even a word in my vocabulary.
0: Yeah. Where, where did you uh, learn about uh, like only fruit before noon?
1: I read a book called – I was running my first marathon, so I was looking for any kind of edge because I had never – I really went from couch to marathon overnight and in the course of a month or two. And I wasn't a runner at all, and I signed up for the New York Marathon. And um, I was reading and trying to find anything that would give me an advantage to complete this successfully because I wasn't a runner. And I came upon a book called Fit for Life by a guy named Harvey Diamond that he wrote in the late 80s. Uh, and I picked it up and I read it and in the book, it challenged the reader to only eat fruit until noon for 10 days and then go back to your regular breakfast on day 11. So I was like, I can make a 10 day investment. So I I did that. And on day 11, I went back to the bagel, bread, bacon, cereal, whatever I was eating. And I felt disgusting. And I just never went back since then. And, you know, I have a lot, I consider myself on a one to 10, have a high energy guy. I, I don't think I've ever missed a day of work, maybe in the, maybe a couple of days, but not, you know. And um, I attribute that to my diet. And a big mm-hmm. part of that is only eating fruit. And we could talk about the science behind it or why Harvey mm-hmm. does it, but for me, it was more of a trial and error thing more than anything else. Yeah. And for me, it worked great. Yeah. So in, in reading both your books, Are you,
0: how would you consider yourself if you were to label yourself a
1: vegetarian, a vegan, plant-based, plant-strong? Do you have a term for like how you eat? I don't have a term for it. I don't, I don't, again, it's lifestyle. I don't really think about it. But if I were, if I were to put numbers around it, I would probably say, um, I'm almost a fruitarian. I mean, I only eat fruit until 12, sometimes five, sometimes, but I'm probably 85% raw, I eat eighty-five percent raw. I do have some fish mm-hmm. in my di- in my diet, like, and that's just a social thing. When I go out with my wife, we have a date night once a week. If we go to sushi, yeah. I'll eat just to be social. But so I'm I'm not. I don't really keep track of it, but I I'm, I eat pretty clean, right? Mostly fruits and vegetables. So it
0: sounds like you're mostly mostly plant based. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? no no no, yeah. at
1: least eighty five yeah. to ninety percent plant based. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah.
0: And I saw on your Instagram that you've worn some. Plant plant based shirts and
1: yeah. Yeah, I think even even vegan, right? You're, yeah. you're not afraid to do that. No. <laughs> I have no dairy, I have no yeah. I mean very little refined sugars, I eat very few grains. Um Yeah. Yeah. And is it fair to say that for the most part you don't care what people think? uh a hundred percent. I wouldn't even say for the <laughs> most part. Uh-huh. No, I couldn't. No. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's just not about what you eat, basically, you know, what you do with your life and how you act and stuff like that. It's
1: just, again, it's just the way it's just, no one's going to sway me from my beliefs or from what I, what works for me. And I'm consistent with it. If I'm, when I ran my hundred mile run, uh, a month or two ago, it was the same thing. I woke up and I had a big bowl of fruit. Um, so it, it, no matter what the circumstance, it's the same thing. Right. Um,
0: so you've, you've written these two books, right? Living, living with the seal, living with the monks. Um, I'm blown away with what a great writer you are, right? <laughs> I mean, um, it's, it is so, um, it's vivid, it's entertaining, it's informative. Uh, your, you know, your personality comes out in spades. Have you always loved to write? Um, going back to like, you know, your, um Your days
1: doing, uh, hip hop and stuff like that. I've always loved to tell stories and I've always, I've always been a good storyteller and, um, translating that into writing was a little, was harder than I thought. But um, but I love to tell stories and I have a lot of stories. I've had a lot of different. I've worn a lot of different hats in my journey. I'm 51 and I went from music to private jets to coconut water to an author to running races. So I have a lot of experiences to share. And um, so I, I tried it. I started writing "Living with a Seal" just literally typing in stories. I didn't. For those that don't know that are listening, I live with a Navy SEAL. I met a guy at a race. He broke the bones in his feet at mile 70. He basically duct taped his feet, ran another 30 miles to complete this race. And I was like, I want whatever drive this guy has. I need to teach that to my kids. I want to learn that. I need more of that in my life. I cold called him and he ended up living with me. Five years later, I wrote a book about our journey. So I, I didn't, he didn't live with me. So let's, hey, let's write a book about it. So I just started out writing things at night that were like, this was unbelievable. People were people need to know about like this is so the dynamic between him and my family was insane. And I just started jotting things down in my phone. That's how it started. Mm. And turning those little stories into paragraphs and then chapters and then ultimately a book.
0: And and the reason, the reason why you even did this is because you're, you're like Jesse Itzler is constantly seeking out
1: growth opportunities because you always want to be better. Right? Yeah. I mean, and I, uh, Rip, I'm a, a big believer in building your life resume. Yeah. And we obsess on our traditional resume. You know, most most uh, recruiters look at someone's resume and for six seconds, in six seconds, they determine whether a, a candidate is qualified or not. And that model to me is so broken. And I feel like through your life resume, through your experiences, your adventures, I think you could land your dream job. You become more more interesting. People want to talk about like, what do you mean, rip? You have a retreat. People come and they do yoga. Tell me about that. You become, you know, you want the people at the fire station to eat salad. Like, what? (laughs) People are are drawn to that. And as we get older, it's really hard to to bring newness into your life. To get newness, like we have to work hard at bringing newness into our lives because most of us live in routine. Yeah. So. I work really hard on creating newness. I plan out adventures every year. I have a strategy around that, um, and it's really important to me. So this was part of, same with living with the monks, part of building my life resume. Because when I look back, the average American lives to be 78. I hope we're not average. I hope we go to 120. Yeah. But let, let's say that, you know, that I'm 51, if I only have 26 or 27 summers left. How do I want to use that time? Who do I want to spend that time with? I don't want to be 78 and look back and be like, wow, I was the 80% version of myself Mm. and celebrate a life that was 80%. No way, man. I'm almost living in a manic pace. Like, you want to meet? Let's meet tomorrow, Rip. You want to go for a swim? Let's go today. It's because I don't know when that's going to end. So you almost
0: like, would it be fair to say that you're living every day basically like you're potentially going to die tomorrow.
1: Well, I mean, Gandhi said it best, right? He said, learn like you're going to live forever, live like you're going to die tomorrow. And I don't, it doesn't go to my head like, oh, I might not wake up tomorrow, but I just want to maximize this short amount of time on earth that I have. And it's not a gimmick. It's not like, it's something that makes me feel really good. So I prioritize it. If you don't prioritize adventure, if you don't prioritize newness, you get a calendar filled up with responsibilities and appointments, and then the years go by, and the average American gains two pounds a year from 35 to 60 or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, you're 40, 50 pounds overweight. You're in your 60s, and you can't go back and do the things you love to do. I just climbed Mount Washington. When I got to the summit, there were no 70-year-olds up there. When I'm wakeboarding in my lake, in the sun, there's no 70-year-olds on, on the board, the window shrinks fast. Right. So it's important to me to build that non-traditional life resume and create these opportunities, moments, and experiences. So you talk about you know building your life resume.
0: Um, you're here in Austin right now, planning out, uh, figuring out year 29029, uh, I think, events maybe for this year and the following year. You've got some people here in, in the this Airbnb with you. Uh so if you don't believe in resumes, right? How do you how do you find these people that are here? Do they have to like, you know, in a minute
1: do they, you know, hip hop and tell you their life story or or <laughs> Well, I do believe in resumes. I, I just don't think they're I think that people prioritize them way more than they, they prioritize their own life resume. Um I, I, obviously you have to work and, and you have to make a living. Um yeah, I mean I like to and as far as me with building a team, um, you know, it's it's. I'm less interested in that angle of where you went to school or this and that. Of a kid that ran that rode crew came into my office for four, ran rode four years of college and got Fs or D's, but he showed up at every practice, committed yeah. to the workouts two a days, uh, for four years, got up at five a.m. to be part of a team. That's someone that I want to talk about having on my team. Um, so I always just look at, at, at the person and the fit culturally, et cetera. Right. Yeah.
0: And and with uh, you, you're twenty nine, oh two nine. Uh, you've partnered with some pretty, pretty cool cats, right, with that event, Colin O'Brady. Yeah. Is that, is that one of them, for example? Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Colin's a partner of mine. Um. Well, what we do is we rent a mountain. We take out a whole mountain. Well,
0: and, so what exactly is yeah. the twenty nine? So twenty nine or twenty
1: nine <laughs> is uh. Basically, we rent a mountain. You hike up the mountain, you take the gondola down, and you repeat until you climb the equivalent of Mount Everest, twenty nine thousand twenty nine feet. That's a really cool concept. It's cool, and um, it, we created a new category of called it's really endurance hiking. And I was just frustrated with the options out there for you know some of these endurance things. I mean, a lot of people don't want to go out there and run hundred miles or do an obstacle race, but. This is something I could do with my wife. It's something my wife can do without having to necessarily, uh, you know, be a good cyclist or be a good swimmer or be a good good at the monkey bars. She can go out there and and it's just a test of will. You know, it, this last one took me twenty eight hours to complete. It took my you know my wife's friend twenty nine hours. Where where was
0: the last one?
1: It was in Vermont, and there's a thirty six hour cutoff. That's a long. I mean, that's two times. What, the, what an average Ironman finisher, as far as time, would be out there for. It's a long time out, out in nature. Oh, it is, yeah. And, um, but so it comes down to will. And it gives people the opportunity to participate in an endurance event and be an endurance athlete. I mean, this was 21, 20, um, let's see, 21 plus miles straight uphill, 30,000 feet of gain. It's, it's challenging. So why,
0: these sell out, right? Yes. Why do you think people are so hungry for
1: an experience like this? I think people want to be challenged. I think the days of going to the beach are coming to, I mean, it's still exciting to sit on a beach and and put your feet on the sand. I do it too. But I think people really want, are hungry for experience and newness Mm. and challenge and growth. You learn a lot about yourself when you're on a mountain outside under the stars and the moon for that much time mm-hmm. and you learn you learn how to troubleshoot and you learn how to push past pain and you learn that your limits are bigger than you than you think i think once you understand whether it's whether you're in business endurance sports whatever once you understand that like your baseline is is high, you can reset your baseline to a higher point than it is once you reset your baseline, it never goes back down. Mm-hmm. So when I started running, I, my goal was to run two miles. Nothing's changed in my body. The same legs that when I had that two-mile goal. I worked up to it over weeks to get to two miles nonstop. I had the same lungs that God gave me, the same legs that God gave me. But I took that two-mile mile mindset, body, and frame to 100 miles. So I was under-indexing 50x. What I thought, what my goal was, what my stretch goal was, I was, so if I could take the same principles that I learned in the course of, of expanding that baseline up to hundred miles and apply them to business, mm-hmm. to my relationship with my wife, then could I 50 X other buckets of my life? Could I take that same drive, that same, um, determination or whatever it was intensity, all the characteristics that come with, you know, from, breaking a world record or whatever, and apply them to the other areas of my life. And when people come to the mountain and experience 29 or 29, and they're like, man, I'm done. But for some reason, when they still have eight hours left, they continue on, they're hitting a reset button in their brain. And they're going to come back and be like, whoa, if I was able to dig past that challenge, if I was able to... To to take this obstacle of eight hours and simplify it that I only have to get to the aid station, mm-hmm. then the next aid station, then the next aid station, and then do it again. They'll be able to apply those principles to other areas of life. Let me give you an example. Yeah. When I started Marquee Jet, I was 29 years old. Four or five years before that, I was a kiddie pool attendant. Okay? We did a company, we took a we started a private aviation company with no airplanes, no experience, um, no real knowledge of anything in the space, no real connections. And we built a company that did $5 billion in sales. When I started Marquee Jet at 29 years old, if someone would say to me, you have no experience, you have no money, you have no airplanes. Oh, you want to start a private jet company? Now you have to go get Department of Transportation approval, FAA approval. Then you have to raise money. Then you have to build a sales. I would be like, I can't do any of that. But when you take the task of, okay, what's the first thing I have to do? Forget how overwhelming all the steps are the first step of this journey is i need department of transportation approval you tell me i can't do anything without dot approval let me do that first let me get a lawyer that that's an expert in this and let's navigate that now that's done let's tackle that's the same thing you learn on 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 doing these races it's the same thing let me get past this my ankle hurts i have a blister okay let me get past that let me get to the aid station and people are learning these skills. It's the same courage that it takes to start a business or do anything. It's the same courage. It's actually more intense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think people gravitate towards it because they get that sense of accomplishment. And wow, I've been under-indexing my whole life, man. My whole life. I, I, there's so much more in me. How? I, I, and I just got it pulled out of me on this damn mountain. Let me now apply that to other areas of my life. Well, what a... So what a great gift that you are giving
0: all these people that have the, um,
1: I'll just say the courage, right? To sign up for this event. We're all, we are, and we're also giving them tools. We don't, we hold their hand through the process. We give them tools, how important it is to think positively, the power of the spoken word, which one of our coaches, Chad Wright, who's an ex-Navy SEAL, talks about. We give them, you know, what do you do when you want to quit? Which, why do people quit in anything? Mm-hmm. We give them the tools to incorporate on the mountain. So they learn them, they, they go out there and, and knock it out, and hopefully they take it with them.
0: You have a, a story of... Of anyone in particular that you can share about you know their twenty nine oh two nine experience and, and and kind of overcoming adversity and completing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have I have a, <laughs> I have a thousand stories because everybody I think at one point wants to quit. Um, I'll just give you my own personal story. I yeah. mean, we were in yeah. Utah, and um, I had calculated that each one of the of the summits was taking me about an hour and a half. So I got to I got to uh, six summits and I had seven left. Can I ask you so you go up it, yeah. takes you, it
0: takes you an hour and a half to go up the how many miles It took me about an hour and 20 and then 10 minutes okay. to take the gondola down. okay so 10 minutes down and, and that 10 minutes is that like your recovery? Yes and then you like you get to the bottom and then you go right back up yeah and essentially I, and,
1: I, and I tell people all the time take the decision away from the mountain just make the turn and go up because if you go into the into the lodge, and start drinking your coffee or eating a donut, put the feet up against the fire. Yeah. If you want to rest, rest on the hill because you'll never turn around and, and walk down. So just start the process, which is what I say to entrepreneurs all the time yeah. too, just start the process. You don't have to have it all figured out. But once you start, you're in the game. Um so I had I had cre- I was chafing, I was exhausted and I immediately went to a to a place where most people would go is like I don't have 16 more hours in me because i went i started doing the math and my friend who's a professional cyclist actually dropped out he actually said like i'm done man he, he just like this is this is crazy i've been out here for 12 hours i don't have 16 more hours in me i'm just going to go in, into the norma boots and i said to myself you know with i would I, let me just do one more one more <laughs> lap here and see how mm. i feel and now all of a sudden and, and started to chip away and i said to myself and this is in my book living with the monks how am i going to feel tomorrow i have this, these two words that impact my life which are remember tomorrow yeah and when i have a split second decision big or small i ask myself how will this decision impact me tomorrow and i knew my friend was going to feel miserable that he didn't complete this because in an hour you feel fine right like you're like oh man i could have done more i just was in that moment how is this decision going to make me feel tomorrow? Remember tomorrow. Remember how that decision will impact you tomorrow. And I don't want to have a DNF on my record for this. Come on, man. Let me do one more. And I started to gradually chip away and stay super present, be where my feet are. You know, this is where I'm supposed to be today. This is my job today. This is where today is not a day for taxes or kids or this is my job for the day to finish this task. And that was my own personal thing. I mean, And are you, so when you're, you're and how? so how long did it take
0: you to to do this last 29029? The last one took me like 28 hours. Okay. So 28 hours. Are you doing it with somebody? Is it kind of a combination of, okay, I'm going to slug this, you know, slog this out by myself for however long. And then if I meet up with some people, then, you know, that's just part of the process
1: or I did almost all the summits I did with people that were also doing it, that I would just meet up with. The beauty of the of this event is, first of all, it's not a race. There's no winners. Yeah. There's just finishers and participants. And some people, their goal was to do four summits. Not everybody tried to get Everest. But the beauty of, the, of this course is, it's straight up a mountain, and the gondola goes straight down. So when you're going down, you see all the participants. Oh. And when you go up, you kinda see people are cheering you from the gondola. So you get to know everybody. There's always people around and um even at night when i was out at a 4 in the morning with a headlamp i would hook up with somebody i didn't do any of them alone right which was insanely helpful
0: and so how many of these 29029s have you done
1: we've done 4 you've done 4 we've done 4 have you
0: have you finished every one of them
1: uh yeah there were, one was a week before my 100 miler this year so i didn't i didn't so i did oh well, we did 5 and i've done 4 of them
0: okay and uh i mean do you have you ever quit it it uh at anything that you started?
1: I have one DNF on my record. I went it was yeah. it wasn't a quit, it was okay. a medical thing, yeah. Okay. All right. But no. All
0: right. I mean I just I'm I'm thinking about, you know, all these hundred milers and Rip.
1: What? I don't negotiate my goals. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't right. like I don't I don't I don't negotiate them in my I don't rationalize them in my head like well, I've done this much, that's good enough, or I've been out here, I should be proud of this.
0: You just said that with a really intense look on your face.
1: Well, yeah. If I don't negotiate my goals. No. No. Wow.
0: Okay. (laughs) I love it. And um, Okay, so of of everything that
1: you've done, what's the hardest thing? Is there one thing that stands out? When I say I don't negotiate my goals, it doesn't mean I might not. I've had businesses that have failed. Right. I've had... I've had a lot of failure in my life, a lot of egg on my face, Yep. but that's not a result of quitting. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, or negotiate or dumbing down. Like if we're going to go run 10 miles today and we get to eight and it's scorching hot and you're like, man, that was, we, we killed it. We did eight. We should be prepped. No, we said we're going to run 10. Okay. Cause that sets a tone of it's okay to compromise. And I, I, once you break that yeah. tr- trust with your brain, then your brain realizes that they, it, it, there's a negotiation right. lever.
0: And so let me ask you this: so, so that attitude that I just saw come out of you there, is that something that's always been there? Has that been learned? Did the seal, you know,
1: help help inst- instill that in you, or that experience you had? Or I think it's in all of us. I think it's been pulled out of me through different experiences in my life. It, maybe when I was younger, it was because I wanted to get the girl. So okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to run a little faster so I get noticed or something like that or um work a little harder at my jump shot so so I could get the girl. Maybe it was because my I wanted to prove my dad wrong when he said I wasn't good. I mean I, I'm just giving examples yeah, yeah, of stuff. Yeah, my yeah. dad was incredibly supportive. So I think it's these little situations that pull us out of it and then something happened that flipped in my head that made that for me where I was like I don't care about the girl or my dad or whatever. I want this because I want it for me. It -hmm. makes me feel good to like have those little ribbon, finisher ribbons. It makes me feel good to put the silver warm blanket on at the end of a race. And once I flipped it for me, that's when the real success started coming into my life.
0: Hmm. What, uh, you talk about in living with a seal, the 40%, uh, I think it's the 40% rule, Mm
1: -hmm. which I think is really applicable to what you're talking about right now. You- that's something i did learn from the Navy's from from goggins who live with me the navy seal that live with me he would always say that when your brain says you're done you're only at 40 percent, and you know i've learned that the way our brain is wired the first time we experience pain or discomfort on any level physically or even emotionally like um I don't want to make these emails I'll return all these calls. I'll do them tomorrow. Our brain doesn't want us to be in pain or in discomfort. So it taps us on the shoulder and says stop. Yeah. Most of us stop. At that point, we're probably only at 40%, is what he's saying. Like, we have so much more in our tank. We're just like we have like a, we're just wired with some kind of governor or something that that says stop because as a defense mechanism. And you know, very often the difference between heroic success and going through life in routine is the ability to, to go into that reserve tank that we all have, we just don't want to access it because it's uncomfortable. Right. And believe me, there's plenty of times I don't <laughs> want to access it either, and I don't. But I also right. know that I'm capable of, of, when I'm exhausted, my dad was in the hospital a week, I mean this is just, every area of my life this applies. My dad was in intensive care uh, a week ago, and I had to rotate, I rotate, I didn't have to. I wanted to rotate with my brother shifts at night because we don't want to leave my dad alone. So um, we would sleep on a chair. He would do go one night, I would go the other night, and it was not fun. Like first of all, the hospital environment's not fun. So I had to flip the whole thing upside down and and tap into that reserve tank. Now it might sound sim- silly, but I said to myself. I've run 100-mile races. I've paddled. I've done crazy stuff in my life. I'm in a hospital with my dad, okay? Like, this is a privilege and an mm, honor. Mm. And, you know, um, even though this is super uncomfortable, I'm going to be up, pretty much lose a, a whole week of sleep. This is what I'm here to do. Like, this is what I'm doing right now. And it would have been very easy to be like, well, we have a nurse. The nurse is going to come in. My dad's going to be okay. I can go home. Let get five hours of sleep and come back. But that would be a negotiation, and that so that's an example of something that's not physical, where you tap into this forty percent, where I want my body was saying go to sleep, and I was like no way, man, I'm staying up with my dad, and and using that extra reserve that we all have, and there's examples of that all the time.
0: Yeah, you you just mentioned your 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 dad. Is your mother still alive? Yes. Okay. Are they uh, over the top proud of? Of Jesse Itzler and where you are.
1: They are. And that's a great gift that I that I've been able to give them. Um, you never you don't realize sometimes what the benefits of your hard work or whatever, and, and selfishly you think like, Oh, I can buy a swimming pool or I have the freedom to eat organic or good food and I have to worry about that. That is a great gift that I have. And believe me, I slept on eighteen couches when I when I was growing up trying to make it in the music business. My father owned a plumbing supply house. Yeah. I don't take that for granted at all, every, at all. But the bigger gift is to be able to have my parents be able to see that and then take care of them. It's unbelievable. Right. I mean, it's, it's by far the most rewarding thing in my life. It's yeah. not even close, Yeah, is being able to, you know, for them to see that. Yeah.
0: Well, I- Look at the the dedication in this book, and you've dedicated this to your to your mom and dad, who you said were at every event. Right. Every you know they were like your number one supporter. Yeah, it's really cool.
1: And I tell them, and I tell them by, uh, they say that they say that one of the best indicators of success when you get older is if your older parents, if if you want to hang out with your older parents, right? Like that's they're successful. Yeah. And I still fly my parents in monthly. Because I do want to be with them. So they can look at themselves using that as the litmus test for success and be like, we're super successful. All of our kids still want to hang around with us, and we're 90 years old.
0: Lori, who is one of the Plant Strong podcast producers, has a French bulldog named Paris who is allergic to air. Now, of course, I'm exaggerating, but you get the point. Lori has tried every high-end, vet-prescribed food on the market and nothing has worked. In fact, Paris has suffered with constant itching and a red and raw belly for years. And the thing about wild earth dog food is that it's made with no animal proteins, which means no animal protein allergies. And while food allergies in dogs are relatively rare, they are most commonly associated with meats and dairy. Wilder's plant-based dog food contains no animal ingredients, thereby eliminating the risk of these specific allergies. And for Lori's dog, Paris, after switching him to Wild Earth, he is finally, after years, symptom-free and thriving. Go, Paris, go. If you want to learn more about Wild Earth, visit wildearth.com. Or Amazon and use the code Plant Strong for forty percent off your first order. One of the th- the things that you say in these books is um, authentic- authenticity over everything. Um, can you like expand expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think a lot of people we all can't play shortstop. And, you know, I always believe that I just, if you're quirky, be quirky, I, I, be who you are. I, when we had Marquee Jet and it, I, I don't want to tell stories about me, but it's just, it's just the natural way to explain this. I remember going to a sales meeting with somebody and uh, she was a single mom and she was giving the pitch to the person that she was trying to sell. Um, like she was me, my partner or I or I, and it, it sounded ridiculous. And I was like, Susan. You're a single mom. Like, talk about that. Go in there and be like, I had a crazy day. My son, I had to get him to school. People will relate to that. Don't try to, you can't give the pitch that Kenny or I give. We're totally different. When you go in there, start talking about your life so they connect with you. People buy into people, not products. They're going to buy into you. If you're quirky, be quirky. Mm. If they don't want to sell for you, then buy from you, then, you know, and so, and it, and it it started working for her in a big way. And so I just think that there's a lot of snake oil out there and people trying to just, you know, regurgitate shit that they don't live or be- mm-hmm. or really even truly believe. And I just think in the long term, that's not a good business model, mm-hmm. life model.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Um it seems to me... In everything, Rip. That's why you said, do people care? Do I care about what people think about how I eat? Right. I'm not going to change my way of what works for me or what I believe because someone says that that, that that that's or makes fun of me. You know how many times I've been around and people have laughed at me like, you're going to have bananas. You, you eat 10 bananas a day and like whatever or, or make fun of me or, or joke around about yeah. it. Or, oh, Jesse's here. Give him an almond. You know, I get that all the time. Just silly li- little comments or snarky comments. And, um, it's it just, I remain unwavering yeah. in what, what, in that stuff that's, no, I have flaws, I have vices, I make mistakes, but I I, I try to stay yeah true to my p- principles as possible. I, I hear you loud and clear there. I
0: was in probably the most hostile environment on the planet, a fire station, right? In Texas. And, uh. You know, I just let all the comments just roll off the back, right? And uh and then as as I told you earlier today, you know, before before I knew it, all the guys at the station were embracing the lifestyle and we were the only <laughs> yeah the only fire department or fire station that I know
1: of in America that was all plant based. I always always say too, like, you know, we're talking about authenticity. Yeah. I always say to people like, I want to see people's body of work. So a lot of people can talk about This or they believe this or they've done this or hey, this, I'm an amazing sales guy. What have you sold? I'm an unbelievable, uh, what have you done? Like, what's your body of work? Yeah. So I just, I go by body of work. I don't go by pieces of paper, what people say or tell me like what your body of work is. You know, when I went out and lived with the monks, I was, I realized that I, and I, so I lived on a monastery for 15 days with eight monks that had been there for 50 years. And I realized that I had neglected, I'd invested so much in the physical side of my life, eating clean, running every day, racing, trainers, et cetera. But I really neglected the spiritual side. I had no, I'd invested anything in the spiritual side. And part of being an entrepreneur is figuring out how to get from A to B the fastest. And I approach my life a lot like that. Like how could I get Results going from A to B the fastest and when I thought about spirituality, I was like, well, who are the spiritual masters? Monks everything pointed to monks. So I'm like, all right, well, let me go I don't really learn well reading or going to conferences. They're great, but I like to immerse myself with experts Goggins monks. so I'm like, let me go yeah. live with the monks, so I, I did not go to
0: Tibet you went to new skeet new skeet Yeah,
1: <laughs> I went to and um, The so and so that that's how I've always kind of approached my learning and always approached the authenticity. It's like you, you pick up things from people that have mastered these skills. You're a master in, you know, your dad taught. Your dad was a founding father of this movement, ahead of the curve. And now you've embraced this lifestyle and you went from student to teacher. Yeah. And for me, I've always found that you know, getting from A to B the fastest and these kind of things. And, and people, you know, ridiculed it or made fun of it, but I, I got the lessons that I needed from it. Well,
0: uh, it's interesting. You say, um, in the, the monk book, you say, I never realized how loud silence can be. I miss chaos. Chaos and noise have become the norm in my life. Um, And so that, that experience, you know, you went into it and you said, I want to become an ultra meditator, right? What, what did you become a meditator? And like, is that something that you've
1: continued to do? Um, So I, I didn't, I I didn't, let me rephrase it because I really didn't want to be an ultra meditator and, and I don't, I don't meditate. I wanted to just, I wanted to learn I was going a million miles an hour. Businesses, four kids, races, like I said, almost a manic pace, trying to get as much onto my plate as possible. And I was multitasking. I would have 50 things, 50 to-do lists. I felt overwhelmed. And I just wanted to shut it down. Instagram, Facebook, Siri, Alexa. I mean, I was just getting bombarded with information, requests. And it was just like, I'm losing control of my own time, you know? And I wanted to see how people that, Mastered simplicity. Where does the joy come from? Because, like, if we if we feel we can always the chaos and the loudness helps us. If we if we're overwhelmed, or whatever we put on the TV now, is CNN's blasting or the football games blasting, it's taking us on a fantasy land journey away from the real problems and issues. So I wanted to. I didn't. I don't want to become a master at meditation. I wanted to see what makes these mm. guys tick. Mm. What? How do they slow down the clock? How do they? Where did the joy come from if they've surrendered all of the electronics and this kind of stuff? How do they approach? I just wanted to learn. And where did the joy come like, from? Well, they always say you yeah. learn from like-minded people. Surround yourself with like-minded people. And I always felt the opposite. Like-minded people, do what I want to do. I, I can do that anytime. I want to go to people that like aren't like-minded, that are masters. Um, I think the biggest change for me was, uh, for one, my relationship with time changed. I've always had a unique relationship with time. We think of relationships in terms of people, um, but we don't think of relationships in terms of our relationship with money and time. And um, I have a very unique relationship with money, and I have a very unique relationship with time. And I started really realizing... I want to hear more. Well, I'll just give you an example. Yeah. Um, are you, is your dad is alive or no?
0: No, he, my mom and dad are alive. 84 and 86.
1: They live in Ohio?
0: They live in Cleveland, Ohio.
1: And how often do you see them?
0: Well, I'm pretty lucky. So they, they come to every one of the events that I throw. So probably seven to eight times, seven to eight times a year.
1: Okay, that's a lot. I mean, for, for most people, if their parents live out of state, they probably see them once or twice a year. Yeah. But let's say you see your dad seven times a year, that which is amazing. Yeah. And let's say your dad lives to 90. I hope he lives longer. Yeah. So he lives another five years. Um, you know, you want, you don't have five years with your dad. You have the 30, 35 visits with your dad. And when you start to think about 30 visits, um, that's not a lot, you know? So time. Now that's
0: actually kind of mind blowing when you, when you, when you put it in that kind of a.
1: Well, for most people, my parents live in Florida and I was seeing them, if you, if I was seeing them once or twice a year yeah, and they live another five years, that means I have five visits with them, not five years. 35 it's not as impactful I mean, but if you think of it that way for anyone listening if you see your parents once or twice a year And they live 10 years, you know, that's not 10 years. You're talking about 10 visits and So I started thinking in time not in the traditional sense, but more in experience and moments How many summers do I have left? Okay, if I live to be 80, I have 28 summers left. That's not a lot of summers I love summers if I I'm in 30 years from now and 28 years from now, I'm going to be 80 years old. That, that is not a lot of time, you know? So my kids are going to be out of my house. My son is, is 10. I'm going to be an empty nester. He's out in eight years. So now I only have eight summers with my son. Well, my son goes away for a month and a half. Now I only have, you you know, eight months with my, it's to start to do, do the math. It's like the, the years are not an indicator of the moments So I started reverse engineering all my time Mm. and really thinking about uh, that stuff.
0: And is that something that you started to reverse engineer and realize before or or during the monk experience? Probably
1: before, but it got super magnified there because there, time stopped. So days became like, I realized that I was there for 15 days, but I felt like I was there for 15 years. And I am like, how could I get 15 more years? If every day felt like a year, you know, then I would have so many more days left in, in theory. So um, I'll just give you an example of how I, how I put this into practice. So every year I, I take, I do one big event. I call it a misogi. There's an old Japanese ritual called a misogi. You do something so hard one time a year that it kind of defines the year, you know, and it benefits last the other 364 days of the year. So every year I do one really big event. Last year for me, it was this last man standing race and this hundred mile race. I did two of them. They were kind of like defined my year. I trained for them. They put fear in my in my soul. They were hard. That was, and then every other month i take a trip. So I call it Kevin's rule. Kevin's a police officer I'm friends with, and he does this, so I I call it Kevin's rule. So every other month, one weekend, every eight weekends, or one day of the weekend, every eight weekends, so once every two months, I do something I normally want to done. So maybe it's a hike I want to take in, maybe it's I'm going to a museum or whatever. But if I just do those two things in 2020, I do one big monster thing on my calendar and five little mini events. That means that if I did that consistently till I'm 80, I would add 150, five a a year, new experiences that I wouldn't have normally had to my life. That's how you build a a life Mm -hmm. resume. So I'm aware of that stuff. I'm aware that if I do just simply do five or six new things over the next 30 years, it's 150, 180 new experiences. So I've taken the principle of time and I've turned it upside down and now I've turned it into moments. So, and I schedule that shit. I put it on my calendar before the year starts, so my calendar doesn't fill up with meetings. I already know in twenty twenty exactly what I'm doing. Hmm. I already know what my what what my big misogi is well I'm between two things, and what my five things are they're scheduled, and once they're in my calendar they're they're there there it's it's not negotiable it's in stone so I've already locked in a great year. I just got to follow the plan now for twenty twenty right, right
0: what what are the Can you say what are the two Masogis you're teetering between?
1: Well, one is a thing called the Ultraman race. One is Badwater. I I was, I'm trying to think about maybe seeing if I could get the over 50 record at Badwater. Oh my God. What is it? Do you know? It's 26 hours. Um, I don't even know if I could finish Badwater. So it's, but, but that's something big, scary would require five hours of training a day for me, you know? And and, um, so, but that's, I'm just using that as an example to show the magnitude. It's yeah. not like I'm going to go climb yeah. a mountain. It's something like really intimidating, really, like really, yeah. really hits the yeah. inner core of my yeah. soul. And then Ultraman,
0: that's that's no
1: joke no, either. No, it's no joke no. at all.
0: How, how, how? Let me ask you this, because you've, you've been pushing yourself hard. I love it. How is your body holding up? How are your ankles, your knees, your hips, all that stuff? Okay. Great. Right. I Good. mean, I think,
1: yeah. you know... <laughs> I am very well versed in the power of spoken word. So even if they, even if my ankles were bothering me, I would not tell you. I would not give it the power to say right. out loud right. that it's bothering me. Right. What I really of, believe. So what, what kind I, of shoes do you like to wear? I like But if I said to you, "Rip, um, oh my, ba- my body's broken," I've just told my body it's broken. I've literally just sent a signal yeah. to my body that it's broken. So I work really, really hard. Like this is the number one thing probably that's happened in the last year or two for me. Um, and I work with a guy. I work with a guy named Chad Wright who's, who's really put me on this path. I am very meticulous and calculated in what I tell my body and myself. Mm-hmm. So even yesterday, I, I mean this is so funny you bring this up because this, this is like real shit. I was yawning. And I said this to my wife. Um, I was yawning and my wife said to me a week ago, you all, you say that you're tired a lot. And I said, I'm never going to say I'm tired again. <laughs> and I started yeah. yawning and I turned to her and I said, I'm not even tired. I'm just yawning. Yeah. I'm not even tired because once I say it, I'm tired. So if you ask me how my body is, it's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, one of the things I'd I'd love
0: for you to touch on uh, is happiness. Um I, I read it. I think it was living in a monk. You did this experiment. Uh, you were at a, you were, I think the, the MC or something in an event and you asked people to stand up if they, um, their happiness factor on a scale of one to 10 was I think seven right. or, or below. And you said it was amazing how many people actually like picked seven, right? Something like that. Right. And it's like, wow, you were, I think you were surprised how many people weren't an eight a nine or a 10. And so, I mean, can you speak to that? It seems like people, even successful people, right? Whatever you
1: define that as, uh, are struggling with being happy. I asked everybody in the audience to think about all the buckets of their lives, their health, their weight, their finances, their job, where they live, their relationships, their kids, their parents, everything. Put it in a blender and a scale of one to 10 with 10 being the Dalai Lama of happiness and one being someone that's rock bottom what would your number be on the happiness scale? And then I asked people, so people got, did that exercise. Okay, my weight's this, this, my finances, my relationship, I'm, I'm a seven. And the majority of the room, these are super wealthy people, uh, raised their hand that they were seven or below. And, um, and we're proud of Seven seven's like pretty good, like I'm a seven out of 10. And I explained to them that a seven, if my son comes home with a 70 on a test, it's a C minus, in the most important bucket of your life, like happiness. Yeah. And what I loved about the test is, if you did it right now, Rip, and I said, put yourself on a blender and give me your number, your brain automatically goes to a 10. It wants you to be happy. And then the two or three biggest things in your life that are bringing you down immediately pop in. You get instant clarity on what your pain points are and that brought you to a 7. So I just said to the guys in the audience, I was like, whatever came into your head first, your finances, your weight, your relationship isn't good with your husband or wife, Whatever the two things that instantly appeared in your head, you don't need a therapist. Those are the two things that you have to fix. If you don't fix those things, there's no way you're ever going to be better than a seven or an eight or whatever the number is because what we want to usually do is we don't try to fix shit. We try to make ourselves more happy. So if something is bothering you, your relationship with your wife is bad, instead of like going to a therapist or going or dealing or talking to her about it, I'm the same way. I'd rather go watch... The football game because that yeah. makes me happy. Yeah. I rather go for a run. It makes me happy. I avoid. We avoid, but unless you address, like if if anyone's listening to this and want to have a, an amazing twenty twenty, just fix the one biggest thing that's broken in your life. If you can just fix that, add a masogi, add some of these little Kevin's rule trips. You're gonna have and do everything else the same. Your your year will be like ten times better than it was last year. Mm. But most of us, we just live in routine, man. We're used to the day-to-day stuff, you know, our bagels and eggs, our coffee. We get up. I want to read the paper, drink my coffee. And, like, we go through it, and then the year's over, and you're like, well, what did I do last year? And that life resume remains the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the people that are following the Plant Strong
0: podcast are, are people that are they're new to the plant-based lifestyle. They're intrigued by it. Uh, they're trying to kind of find their, their footing in it. Um, one of the things that you've done, I think in both, you know, living with the seal and living with the monks is trying to form some habits. And, uh, I think that, you know, for, for people to be successful with this, it's important to kind of find habits, find process processes that they can like, um, hang on to do um,
1: you have any suggestions when it comes to like a process or habits? Well, what I do is I just try to add one winning habit in a month to my routine. So in 2020, we're talking here in December. I don't know when this will air, but we're yeah. in December. Um, if you simply just added one winning habit to your, again, if you did nothing new, but added one winning habit to your routine every month. So at the end of the year, you had 12 winning habits that would be an amazing accomplishment. So in 2019, for me, it was like, okay, I don't drink enough water. I'm going to drink a hundred ounces of water a day in January, February. I'm going to drink water and I'm never going to be late to another meeting. March, I'm going to drink water and never be late to another. I'm mean, going to add 10 minute meditation practice to my life. You know, you start to add these little habits and they don't have to be big. They don't have to be time consuming. They could be promises to yourself, but Uh, I'm going to put my kids to bed, whatever. At the end of the year, if you look back and you're like, whoa, I've added these things to my routine that have made my life better, that's great. Most of us don't do that. Most of like, did you add any new habits last year? Probably not. You know, most 99% of the people listening probably would say, no, I'm doing the same thing I've been doing. You're going to get the same results. So again, it's taking inventory and adding winning behaviors to your lifestyle.
0: Yeah, I know. I so do you after the you know living with the monks? Do you try and like sit still for ten minutes a day or do anything like that? Like, can I give you an example? Sure. Like this morning, I woke up like six o'clock and I'm lying in bed. And I'm can can I lie in bed and meditate or do you have to be sitting in a certain position and you know you know doing this with your fingers uh, yeah.
1: or or because. Well, I'm not a meditation <laughs> expert. Um, my form yeah. of meditation comes from running. Yeah. So I take, I think, I don't necessarily, obviously there's a lot of benefits to meditation. I, I think it's super important to spend time alone. Yeah. And to get, the only way to be in tune with your gut, like before marketing, there was something called instincts. Marketing has impacted instincts. That's why people eat meat and dairy. And people have been convinced that, this is better for you or, you know, milk does the body good. I mean, there's billions of dollars that push these narratives around. You need, you know, you need meat to be strong and you need milk for your bones. You're not, your bones are going to break. If you don't get the calcium from cow milk, they're like, what? Who the fuck came up with that? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the only way to be in tune with your gut over the marketing is to spend time alone, yeah. whether that's meditation, running, sitting in a steam room, going for a walk. So my form of meditation has always been running. I don't listen to music. That's yeah. my time to think. And I make sure to take at least two to three hours a day for myself, cumulatively. Right. You call that the three-hour rule, yes. right? Smart. I've been doing that since I'm 21 without even knowing it. Wow. So and that could look like a 15-minute um, walk. It could be like hmm. reading, reading sitting in esteem doing nothing but that's my time and i'm really it's yeah. really important and another know. thing
0: i think is is brilliant that i you know read about was you figured out how much you personally forget how much time you spend watching football games and you're like oh my god it's thirty-seven thousand hours over a certain period you know that's like three years and you're like you know what screw that you know i got i got i got four kids i got
1: you know an amazing wife and uh because as you evolve, your, your life system has to evolve. So when I'm single and, four, and, and 35 years old, I can afford to watch football games and eat dinner at 11 o'clock. And, and, but when I have four kids and responsibility, I don't have a 24-hour day. Everybody's like, there's 24 hours in a day. I'm like, no, there's not. I have a 21-hour day because three of the hours, I take my kids to carpooling, get them ready for school, pick them up, put them to bed. I have 21 hours in the day. I don't have 24 hours. And those 21 hours have to be way more efficient if I want to get as much done as I did when I had 24 hours. So my life system has to change. So that means less TV, saying no to things that don't move the needle in the most important buckets of my life. And so you start to redo your thing. If you don't do that, it's a recipe for disaster. So you have to evolve as you get older. Your system has to evolve. Uh,
0: You, my man... Have filled up your plate like nobody's business, and it's a beautiful thing. You're an inspiration for, for so many people,
1: and I want to thank you for, um, you know. Hopefully, this will be the first of many times that you and I get together. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me for coming out here, yep. and uh, I'm glad we connected. Now we're connected. Peace, Engine Two. Love Keep it. it Plant strong.
0: And just like that, my time with Jesse came to a close, and he was off running to his next purpose-driven endeavor. I was thoroughly impressed with his energy and his intensity with which he lives his life. There are several things that he shared that left an indelible mark on me that I will carry with me and incorporate into each day. I wanna thank you so much for listening and I would encourage you to tune in next week as I sit down with Robbie Barbero. He's one of the founders of Mastering Diabetes. And he is one of the up-and-coming stars in the plant-based movement. Uh, and it's very timely that somebody like Robbie has come along. As of 2015, 30.3 million people in the United States, or 9.4% of the population had diabetes. More than one in four of them did not know that they had the disease and diabetes affects one in four people over the age of 65 and about 90 to 95 percent of cases in adults are type 2 diabetes. The latest statistics show that close to 50% of America is now considered either diabetic or pre-diabetic. That is crazy. Someone that you love will really want to hear next week's episode. Maybe it's you. Before we wrap up today, I want to talk candidly about how we've made it easier for thousands of people to eat this way with our Plant Strong meal planner. We know that making a big change can seem overwhelming. And it isn't easy coming up with new menus week over week over week, or to get inspired while learning to cook a new way. To help inspire you, we've created a simple and inexpensive solution in our Plant Strong Meal Planner. It's filled with hundreds of recipes, and we are adding more all the time. And it has the really, really savvy ability to customize your menus around your individual preferences. Your household size and any allergens or dislikes you have. Pretty darn trick. And the meal planner, it's staffed seven days a week with the absolutely friendliest engine two coaches who will help you answer any and all of your questions. I would invite you to visit mealplanner.plantstrong.com. It's just a buck ninety a week when you sign up for a year and you can save $10 off the annual plan with the code PLANTSTRONG. I look forward to hearing what recipes you and your family love. And finally, I wanna encourage you to support our family's 501c3 public charity, the Esselstyn Foundation. We partner with existing nonprofits to make sure that the transformational power of the whole food, plant-strong lifestyle is available to everyone, no matter what your background or financial situation. All of our programming is offered free of cost. If you want to find out more, go to esselstynfamilyfoundation.org and know that all donations are tax deductible. Thank you for listening and subscribing to our show. I want you to know that we read each and every one of your reviews and we appreciate each and every one. If you want to learn more about this season or today's guests and sponsors, please visit PlantStrongPodcast.com. The Plan Strong Podcast team includes Scott Battisill, Lori Cordewich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, Wade Clark, and Carrie Barrett. I want to thank my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn for creating a legacy that will be carried on for generations and being willing to go against the current and trudge upstream to the causation.